Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. Last episode, I talked about the career fair at Embry-Riddle, and I wanted to continue the the theme of a career search, specifically the, the different paths to get to the airlines. And there's, there's really no right or wrong way to become a qualified candidate. What matters is that you choose the path that is best for you. And for many, that will be a matter of financial ability and, and stability and or a quality of life choice. Again, there's no wrong way about it. So I just want to highlight all the ways that you can go from zero flight experience to flying a jet all over the world. So the main requirements for becoming an airline pilot are your age, the flight hours, and specific certifications and ratings, to just to name a few. So you must be at least 23 years old, have a total of 1,500 flight hours, and be a commercial multi-engine certified pilot with an instrument rating. And for the purposes of this podcast, I'm, I'm going to focus on uh, the first-time pilot here in the United States, because if, if you're from another country and already have certain flight ratings, most of those can transfer over to the United States, but it can really vary uh, depending on the country. If, if the FAA, the, the Federal Aviation Administration, does accept your certificate and uh, you can transfer it over. So it really just depends. That's just something you're going to have to research. Um, but the key main requirement for a, a foreign national is, is the ability to work in the United States um, because at most airlines, you're going to either need a green card or, or have your citizenship in order to, to work for those airlines. Uh, again, I'm not going to dive too much into depth here, uh, but feel free to leave your questions in the comment blog uh, of this episode found on my website, pilotgavin.com, and, and I can answer them there. And, and maybe if there's enough interest, I, I, can, I can do a whole podcast on all that. So, But anyway, back to those core requirements to become an airline pilot. As you might have realized, to be eligible, you'll need ratings and hours. That's kind of the main thing that it boils down to. And by staying the civilian track of flight training, you could get your private pilot certificate in legally as little as 40 hours, have your instrument rating in, in uh, another 50 hours, and uh, then your commercial check ride can be done once you reach 250 total hours. After that point, a quick multi-add-on rating with only 25 hours will be required, and then it's a matter of just building flight time to achieve that 1,500-hour mark. Uh, you, if you ever read the regulations, uh, you are required to have 50 hours of multi-engine time, uh, but 25 of those hours can actually be accomplished in the full motion simulator that you will do at initial airline training. So all you will need to get is 25 hours on your own uh, in order to help reach that 50 hour. A lot of cases, um, multi-engine training will take less than 25 hours, so you're going to need to either become a multi-engine instructor or uh, go rent with another instructor or something in a multi-engine plane to get to at least 25 hours because, again, the, the rest of that 25 can be uh, done in the full motion simulator at your initial airline training. So you only need 25 hours of multi-time. And of your total time, those, those 1,500 to 1,500 hours, you will also need 500 hours of cross-country time 
75 hours of instrument time, and this is can be combined actual time flying in the clouds and, and simulated time where you've got your foggles on and, and you have an instructor or a safety pilot on board, and then 100 hours of nighttime. So how do you build those hours? Many people, like myself, become flight instructors. This is an additional rating that requires more training, but you can then teach the next generation of flight students. And I have mentioned it in, in multiple episodes in the past that this is a really rewarding way to give back to aviation because, yes, I, I worked towards the hour requirements to become an airline pilot, but I also made that journey while helping my students achieve their dreams and get them through their different certifications and ratings. And most people aspiring to become an airline pilot will choose this path because it's it's typically the fastest way to acquire those hours. Um, but it's again, it, it's it's kind of this really awesome opportunity to to give back to aviation and to do more than just gain your hours, but to to also help that next generation. And generally, many instructors will will struggle to get those cross-country hours and night hours that I, I aforementioned. Again, you need 500 cross-country and, and 200 or uh, 100 night. Uh, and and this is because most of the flight lessons are local and during the daytime. And so you're you're not generally leaving the local area, and most of the training is going to take place during the day. <laughs> uh, and I let me clarify something about the definition of a cross-country with, with the purposes of, of flight training. Cross-country does not mean going actually across the United States. It actually means uh, it's a cross-country is defined as from point A to point B. It must be at least 50 nautical miles of straight line distance. And so in order to get to that 500 hour of cross-country time that you need, you'll have to have at least 500 hours of, of those kind of flights that have, uh, again, from point A to point B, it needs to be at least 50 nautical miles straight line distance from one point to the next. This does not mean that you need to land at an airport, though. Uh, that's what a lot of people um, will sometimes not understand, that you don't actually have to land. You could fly to a, a GPS or, or a different navigational aid fix that is 50 miles away, and that would count as long as you log it as such. What I do hate to see, however, uh, and, and I've known some people to do this, is um, specifically with instructors, is, is what they can do is, is called milking their students for the flight time, and particularly the cross-country time. So just because you need that cross-country flight time does not mean you should always fly 50 nautical miles every single flight um, when you're with your students. I mean, sure, do it on occasion, and, and but tell your students what you are, are planning to do and that for that lesson, hey, let's try going to a new practice area. Let's go to a new airport to, to kind of get used to other airspaces instead of just that local airspace that you've been flying with the whole time. Uh, but tell the students what you're doing uh, and then make sure that they also log that cross-country time uh, for the duration of, of the flight that is, you know, straight line point A to point B, um, that they log that time as well because, hey, if they want to go to the airlines, that cross-country time will come in really key as well. So it's benefiting both of you. But what I hate to see is, is instructors kind of logging it on their own and not telling their students about it because, quite frankly, a lot of those students might be private pilot students. Uh, they're just starting in the very beginning, and, and they won't even understand this whole concept of, of reaching your airline transport pilot flight hour minimums. Uh, that, that's a whole different thing that they haven't even thought of. 
And again, that's that's another reason why I'm making this episode is to to bring to light some of those details that I myself had no idea how this all worked uh, until much, much later. So uh, I wish I had an episode like this to listen to. And maybe there's one out there, but I, I just didn't do the research for it. As for nighttime, uh, like I said, uh, most of the flight training at particularly smaller uh, flight schools will most of that will be during the daytime. So um, many instructors might need to rent a plane on occasion to reach those 100 hours. For me, though, at, at Embry-Riddle, it, it's such a massive flight school um, that I was on a team that did a lot of night flying because we mostly did instrument training on that specific team. And so because of that, we did not need daylight to see ground references. We're doing all kinds of practice approaches, holding, uh, intercepting courses. There's no need for any reference to the ground, so we can be doing that at night. Uh, in fact, as the instructor for an instrument student, uh, I'm, I'm the one that's essentially the safety pilot looking outside while my student has foggles on that forces them to only look at the instruments. So they're completely looking inside as if they were in the clouds the entire time. So. There is no reason why we need to do that during the day. And again, with such a big school that I was at, with the number of flight students they had, and, and even with a lot of planes, it's still it's a lot uh, to, to fit that all in on the schedules. And so having these night flight blocks were really key. In fact, my typical work days would be 3 p.m. to midnight or 1 a.m., uh, sometimes even 3 a.m. with some of my longer flights. So my work day was kind of crazy working a lot of those night uh, flight blocks, but I really enjoyed it because particularly being in the Florida heat, I could escape that because at nighttime it cooled down quite a bit. So that was uh, that was pretty nice. But again, we, we didn't need to see any ground references. So when I reached my total hours, um, you know, again, you only need 100 hours of, of nighttime, but I think I had over 350, maybe 400. I think I, I think I might have had 400 hours of nighttime. So I had four times what I needed. Uh, so there was no issue with that. But for the cross-country time, uh, I did rent a few times, uh, but, I, but I also made it a fun ordeal by, by taking friends and family and, and you know, doing sightseeing or uh, go to do what we call get the $100 burger, which is where you would, you would fly, from an air, uh, fly to an airport with, with a restaurant, uh, and, and the rental costs make it, you know, for renting the plane, make it one very expensive ride to get that burger. Uh, in fact, I guess with all you know, inflation, the cost of, of, of renting an aircraft these days, it's probably more like the two hundred to three hundred dollar burger. Uh, but uh, it's it's just a really fun thing you can do to make it more than just building that flight time, but you can actually make it a fun day. Uh, and you know, you, if there's four of you that cram into a plane, you can split the costs of, of the rental uh, equally shared. So you know, it might end up being only forty, fifty dollars to go get a burger. So yeah, definitely more expensive than. Just just driving to your nearest local burger joint, but uh, it's it's really fun because you have a great experience out of it. But anyway, back to the hours. Uh, one thing that I have highlighted is is the method to obtaining those airline requirements by by just going to flight school, and this is definitely a, a really great option because nowadays college degrees are no longer required to be an airline pilot, uh, and and this is because we're trying to help reduce the pilot shortage that is going on. So going to a, a small mom and pop flight school at a tiny airport near your, your own uh, town is, is very feasible. And you can get a lot done uh, even just at a tiny little flight school. And then there are also 
quite a few large flight schools that, that will have locations uh, possibly all over the United States or, or multiple different um, satellite campuses. Uh, and they might advertise, you know, being able to go from zero to airlines in just one year. Um, and I will say, though, if you manage to get that done all in one year, you'd be flying a lot. I mean, we're talking six to seven days per week. You have you have no time for a job or home life. You'd, you'd be essentially eating, sleeping, and breathing flying. Uh, and for many, that's, that's not a bad thing at all because, again, you could go from zero time to ready to fly in the airlines in such a short amount of time. Um, but that's going to be a lot of upfront costs. It's not very, you know, spread out. Um, so like I said, you don't have time for a job or home life or anything. It's, it's going to be pretty brutal. Um, and so most of the flight schools, even though they have a rigorous curriculum, they can generally be fairly flexible to help work around your, your work schedules and, and your home life. And maybe, uh, you know, if, if you're also doing part-time other school or something. So there, there's a lot of flexibility usually with those kind of, those kind of flight schools. So in terms of just the flight school option, you can either go with the small flight school at your local airport or go for a larger school with typically a, a quicker program with a, a more rigorous um, a more rigorous curriculum. And, and those fast-paced programs can potentially be more expensive, but your mileage may vary. And, and again, the main thing is with that specific curriculum that they have, it's structured in such a way that it, it can get you through pretty quickly. And a lot of them will have uh, deals potentially where, hey, if you sign on to be a flight instructor with us, we'll help cover some of the costs of your flight training. So there's all kinds of little perks, I guess I, I, guess I could say, uh, with going to a larger flight school with that. Now, I've had people ask me, how expensive is flight training? And there's no easy answer. Well, I guess the easy answer is that it's very expensive. Uh, but in terms of, of an exact amount, it really depends on the flight school you attend, uh, how well you do. In other words, how many lessons do you need to repeat, uh, how good your instructors are, and the rental rates for the aircraft at, uh, at the flight school. So for most single-engine trainers like the Cessna 172 Skyhawk, which I flew for all of my general aviation training, or something uh, similar like a Piper Archer in terms of the, the category, the, the, the weight of the aircraft, the cost, and all that, uh, these days at most flight schools with the flight instructor on board and including the fuel, it's going to be around 200 to $250 per hour. Again, with that flight instructor on board with, with uh, the fuel rates as well. Uh, and again, it, it can really vary by the location, the aircraft type, and, and instructor rates. And um, this is kind of just off the top of my head from costs of about two years ago. So maybe they've gone up already. Uh, but that's roughly ballpark of, of what you'd be expecting to pay at an hourly rate. And most flight schools go by a, uh, a pay-as-you-go type of basis uh, because it varies so much from one student to the next that having one upfront payment for for a specific rating certification or maybe all of your training just doesn't make sense because what if you know it's going to take you longer and then it would be more be more expensive or what if it takes you no time well then are you overpaying so that's why they uh, most flight schools go on a, a you know pay by each lesson type of basis and there are some flight schools out there that advertise doing a you know lump sum payment and you'll be all done. I would say be very careful about that kind of setup because if the flight school were to go under for any reason, uh, you know they go bankrupt or whatever, 
they might not give you your money back. So I would just be very careful and do your research if you're going to put a ton of money down on your flight training and something were to happen, you know, what's going to happen with that, th those costs, you know, do you get those back? I don't know. You'd have to really read the fine print. And so I'd be, I'd be very careful with selecting that pay as you go, I think is a great way to do it because if you need to change flight schools, maybe you need to move somewhere else. Guess what? There are flight schools all over the United States. And so if you need to change things, it's one pilot certificate that you're going for. It's it's all in the same database. So there's no different rules based on the state that you're in. It's, it's a federal license. So it, it's fine if you train in one state to the next, from one city, from one flight school to the next. It, it does not matter. So sometimes you need to make changes, and that's totally okay. So paying as you go is your best option. But overall, going back to the question of cost, to get all of those ratings you need, it is not cheap at all. It'll be oh, it'll be somewhere in the range of probably fifty to $150,000 if you're just doing the flight school track, and, and it depends on what ratings you, you get. If you get everything just through commercial multi and you decide to build your hours uh, differently from instructing, uh, it would technically be cheaper because you don't need to get your flight instructor ratings. But uh, So that would be on the lower end. And again, based on where you are, if it's a, a more rigorous curriculum type of flight school, it's probably going to be more expensive versus some mom-and-pop school in the middle of nowhere. It might be a little bit cheaper, but again, it's it's really going to vary. I've, I've heard of people getting their private pilot certificate in as little as six, seven, maybe $8,000. Uh, but that was a few years ago, so now on the cheaper side, if you're spending less than $12,000 to get your private pilot certificate, that's pretty good. Uh, at pretty intense flight schools, I've heard of people spending upwards of $25,000 just for their private pilot certificate. So it's it's insane how much money you can spend on just one rating. Uh, so it's I know this is it's a huge shocker. It's really expensive. And most of us cannot do this without taking out some sort of loan to cover some, if not most, of these costs. But I will add that if you're looking into a career as an airline pilot, you've probably realized the income potential once you do make it. Airlines have increased the pay to help attract and retain more pilots due to many of our staffing shortages that, that most companies are, are dealing with. Uh, and particularly when COVID hit, many pilots took early retirement packages and, and airlines were and, and still are scrambling to get new pilots trained and onto the line. And, and specifically at the regionals, as of this podcast airing date here in, uh, in the beginning of April of 2023, we need captains badly. And again, because of COVID, many major and legacy carriers ha had those early retirements, and, and therefore that created more pilot slots than normal that needed to be filled. And so many of our captains at the regionals who were going to leave around, you know, just before COVID was hitting, were temporarily stuck due to the onset of COVID when, when hiring ceased for a good, it was pretty much a year when things kind of froze in terms of career advancement. And so once things finally stabilized a bit with, with traveling, um, many of our captains all of a sudden started leaving because all those hiring classes were now being filled up because scram they were all scrambling to fill those, those pilot slots. So to kind of help offset that, we needed more pilots. And so we were hiring a ton of first officers with had that, you know, they had those minimum airline requirements. 
Um, but eventually, because we were still losing a lot of captains, and yeah, we started to lose some first officers too, because a lot of these majors and legacies are now hiring people straight out of the right seat as a first officer when prior to COVID, you know, five, 10 years ago, you had to have some pilot and command time. You had to be a captain at the regionals before you would move on to your dream airline. But things have changed so drastically that now first officers are leaving from a regional and going straight to their dream airline to fly wide bodies with only a couple hundred hours in a regional jet. So that's it's pretty insane how much movement has happened. But eventually what happened and what's still going on right now is that the ratio of captains to first officers has become quite unbalanced. And so right now, as of this podcast, the first officer hiring has slowed down significantly for the time being. Uh, This will be changing soon enough, though, because, again, we are still losing a lot of our first officers. And we're finally getting some more uh, high time first officers to upgrade to captain. Things will hopefully balance out soon. Uh, But for now, we need captains. Um, And so that's kind of the the point we're at right now. Uh, and, And... my last episode, I, I talked about it a little bit at the career fair, but we had a lot of people who were inquiring, you know, when are our hiring classes going to go back to normal? Uh, you know, when, when, what's, what's going on with the industry? Um, and the thing that I, I told people, uh, I think I mentioned it in the, in the podcast, that you need not worry. Uh, this, is, this is the airlines. Uh, this career, this industry has so many fluctuations that it's nothing to be concerned about because things are going to change. There's going to be, hopefully, hopefully, knock on wood, uh, we're not going to have any more situations like COVID, but there's always going to be hiring changes, furloughs are a thing that happens in the airlines. Uh, and, and so those kind of things will create ups and downs in the hiring process. But what I always tell people is that don't worry about it. It's just part of the industry. You are going to make it at some point. As long as you stick with it, yeah, you might need to stick around and flight instruct or, or you know, build your hours how you would um, a little bit longer than maybe you want to. You're going to make it eventually. So do not fret. You know, I, I would always look I'd always at this career fair and, and other times too. I tell people like, you know, how old are you? You're 24, 25. Gosh, you got so much time ahead of you. Um, that there's really no point in stressing about it. Like, yes, it, it's great to get in with an airline early, get that seniority going early, but there's so much life ahead of you that why, why bother stressing about it, you know? But anyway, that, that was a, a bit of a side tangent, but even though the, the hiring process has slowed for new airline pilots, um, the, the number, the overall number of pilot slots, it, it desperately needs to be filled over the next decade across all airlines and, and maybe even even more in terms of a longer time period. So if you want to be an airline pilot, this is the golden age to do it. And with that increase in pay, if you start young, uh, I mean, like I said, there's really no need to really worry. But if you're even younger than 40 years old, you're still going to have a a solid chunk of time in a career making those pretty good pay rates in the airlines. So as of now, on average, if you're starting, I think it's uh, younger than 35 or younger than 30 or something like that, an airline pilot across their entire career as an airline pilot, they can make something like $7 million in their career, which is insane. That's a lot of money. Uh, and, and that number is growing quite a bit, too. Uh, even at the regional airlines now, you can make a very decent living without moving on to a major or a legacy airline. 
Um, but if you do move on, there, there's a lot of potential there. It, it's no secret that some of the top paid pilots have made close to or, or just over $1 million in just one year. And now, granted, this was a Czech airman making override pay from from training new new hires, uh, and it probably included um, their retirement account accumulations as well. But still, that's that's a lot of money. So the reason I bring this up is yes, training is incredibly expensive to get all your flight ratings and to get those hours and, and to to be qualified as a candidate. But there is a very good return on your investment once you do make it because the pay rates in the airlines is really awesome. It's, it's, a, it's a really great career if you're looking to make some money for sure. So I talked about just going to a flight school, whether that's a, a mom and pop school or, or a larger flight school to, to get all your certifications and your ratings. Uh, but another way to reach your airline minimums is going to a college program. And this is what I did. And what it does is it combines a college degree to be completed in tandem with all of your flight training. So it's a great way to gain more knowledge than you would obtain if, if you just went to flight school alone. Uh, and, and it also means that with a degree, you have more options in the future. So let's say your degree is in business aviation business management or aviation safety or something like that, to, to name a couple examples. Once you're at your airline, it will allow for more opportunities within the company. And so you, you could choose to, to just be a line pilot or you can get involved internally with the company and potentially make some more money, but also gain some more experience and have another job within a job, so to speak. And in addition, another thing we pilots have to consider is what would happen if we lost our medical certificate? Under age 40, we get a, a mandatory checkup every year to ensure we are healthy to fly. And once you're above 40, it's every six months. So what happens if you know, we can't get that medical certificate anymore. We need to have a backup plan. Uh, and a degree will help a lot with that. Now, it's not to say that without a degree, you'd be completely out of luck, but having one will certainly keep some more doors open for you. Uh, and, and if you were to lose that medical, yeah, you wouldn't be able to be a line pilot anymore, but because you're already in with the company, there's most likely going to be a lot of opportunities to, I don't know, either stay within the, the training department or the safety department, something like that. There's, there's a lot of different jobs that, again, if you had that college degree, it would open a lot of doors for you because that extra experience, uh, that, that degree, that certification, so to speak, uh, is, is going to give you a lot more options. The main advantage to a college aviation program is that because you are taking aviation classes uh, across multiple subjects, the, the Federal Aviation Administration allows these programs to grant what's called a restricted ATP minimum, and, and ATP stands for Airline Transport Pilot. So the, the restricted minimum, the, there, there's two versions of it. Um, and, and version one, which is what I did and what honestly most programs will have, is that if you have a, a program that has at least 60 approved aviation credits, your total flight time requirement is lowered to 1,000 hours instead of 1,500. And your cross-country time is now only 200 instead of a requirement of 500. 
And additionally, to get your commercial certificate uh, from the aforementioned just doing a flight school method, you would need to have 250 hours of flight time before you could take your commercial check ride. But with an approved college program, there is no longer that requirement. So, for example, I think I got my commercial certificate at 150, 160, I don't know, somewhere somewhere in that range. It, it was definitely less than 250. Uh, so that means that you could start uh, flying for hire in less flight time than if you had trained just at a flight school, um, which, you know, technically one would think that maybe that would make it cheaper, but I'll get to this in a sec. Um, you're also going to have some college tuition expenses too. So there's, there's lots of different ways to think about it, but it would allow you to start flying for hires as a commercial pilot sooner. And, and even if you were maybe mixing your degree uh, in with something else, and instead of having 60 credit hours, it, it had uh, at least 30 credits, but less than 60 credits of, of those aviation courses, you can still get a minimum of 1,250 hours. So that's, that's still 250 less hours uh, than the aforementioned 1,500 minimum. And that same 200-hour cross-country requirement still applies as well as waiving the 250-hour requirement for the commercial certificate. So again, there's there's definitely some advantages in terms of your total flight time requirements if you do a college program. The main drawback to a college aviation program, you might have already imagined, is the cost. You'd now be paying for tuition on top of those flight training costs and Many of these programs will set you back upwards of $250,000 and maybe even more. Again, it's not cheap, and just like I mentioned earlier, most likely loans will be involved with that. Uh, again, because it'll probably run you potentially $100,000 more than if you were to just do the flight school. And again, a lot of that has to do with your tuition semester to semester. You have housing. At least most schools will require you to be on campus as a freshman. Some schools even require uh, two years to be on campus. Uh, and then, you know, even even if you do move off campus, you're still going to need to live somewhere. So while you're not paying the school, you're going to be paying for rent somewhere else. And even if you have roommates, it's still expensive. Everything adds up. So going to college is not cheap to begin with. Uh, especially here in the United States. But uh, when you combine that with flight training costs, it, it gets even more expensive. It's probably one of the more expensive ways to, to get into a career. The only thing I can think of that might be more expensive is going to medical school to become a, a medical doctor. Because in that situation, as a medical doctor, you're, you're going to have many more years in school you know you're you have your undergraduate then your master's then then you're getting your phd and your doctorate all that stuff so it's that's most expensive because it's just even more time in school uh, so that's more semesters more housing costs uh, so that's that's probably the only one i can think of uh, that would require more funds than maybe going into a, an aviation career specifically in the airlines but uh, again overall it's it's expensive but again, I'll reiterate that the return on investment means that those loans can get paid off fairly quickly considering the overall costs of, of doing this college program. And while it is expensive, uh, it does give you the advantage of, well, going to college. I mean, a, a four-year program is a lot of fun because you get an opportunity to meet lots of people 
engage in student-run organizations. I mean, for example, I was involved in the ultimate Frisbee team that we had at my school at Embry-Riddle, and and that was honestly the highlight of my college experience because that was honestly my, my core friend group, uh, and it opened a lot of doors for me in terms of, of potential leadership uh, opportunities. I became the captain uh, on the team, and so that really helped m- with my leadership, even though it had nothing to do with my uh, flying skill set anything like that, it expanded on my, my leadership skills, which are very important <laughs> when becoming a pilot, flight instructor, a supervisor, and an airline pilot. So things like that, you know, where, where you have opportunities to get more involved with a, with a community is something that you wouldn't have by just going to a flight school. And additionally, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to have some aviation-specific courses. Uh, to name a few that, that I had, I mean... Uh, jet engines. We had a course specifically learning about jet engines. Uh, we had another course about aircraft systems uh, where we focused. It was a lot of physics, uh, in-depth stuff regarding circuits and, and how electricity works and learning about alternating current and direct current and uh, generators and alternators and, and how it's all incorporated into a, an advanced jet. Uh, learn different weather classes. You learn about weather theory, the weather patterns, uh, You know how we can apply that knowledge to flight planning. Uh, for risk mitigation. And speaking of risk mitigation, there were some safety classes too where we would discuss uh, accidents and incidents in order to give us a better understanding moving forward so that hopefully we can avoid getting ourselves into a bad situation too. So there's, there's just that's just to name a few courses. Um, but again, with the, the over 60 credits of, of coursework, it was a lot of knowledge that really expanded upon the just the bare minimum requirements that you have to to get your flight ratings. So, in terms of going on to airline training, having that in my back pocket really helped uh, because a lot of that knowledge carried over and made the training. Uh, I don't want to say easy, but I, I definitely think it made it easier than it would have been if I had only done the flight training track. Now, one recommendation I, I might. Uh, make is that because of inflation and the the cost of tuition is is still skyrocketing, one way to cut your costs if you're looking to do a, a college aviation program is, you know, once you get out of high school or, or at whatever point that you're deciding to do this, uh, this does not have to be something you do right out of high school. Um, I've had people ask me, you know, is it, is it too late to start? I think if you're hmm, maybe above 45 years old, it might be a little bit too late to think about an airline career because you're only going to have, you know, potentially less than 20 years in in the airline, but it's still very possible. You can still definitely do it. Um, But it's really, there's never, it's never too late to to decide to do this. So if you're deciding a major career change, maybe going back to college and and doing this college uh, program would be great. But, But one recommendation I would make is, is that, again, because of those increases in costs, is that you could go to a community college for a year and get all the general education classes out of the way. It'll be a very boring year because you're going to be doing a lot of basic classes. Um, but just make sure, you know, if you, if you have your eyes set on a, a college aviation program that you want to attend, what I would do is cross-reference with their course catalog and, and and make sure that you're going to take uh, classes that will get approved and carry over and counted as credits towards your degree. Because the last thing you'd want to do is is spend that time and, and money 
taking some courses that then don't get transferred over. Um, so make sure you, you do a little research on that. But that would be a great way to save some money uh, because a lot of community colleges, the tuition is way cheaper. And in many cases, there's probably one fairly near to where you live. And so you're not going to have to move for a little while, um, which is great too. And uh, if you had advanced placement courses in high school, uh, a lot of those will help reduce your, your credit hour requirements and your degree too. So if you have any of those AP credits, by all means, make sure you, you include those in your package when you, uh, when you apply. And another thing you can do while going to community college for a year is you could also get your private pilot certificate from a, a small mom and pop flight school uh, nearby while you're taking those classes. And that way you'll have, again, a bunch of those general education classes out of the way and your private pilot certification all complete prior to attending an aviation college program. Because once you do attend that college program, they do allow you to come in with your private pilot certificate already in hand. So you're going to start right away in your instrument rating. So it's it's already giving you a leg up um, and, and will mean that, again, if you did that year of community college, got your private pilot, you'd be able to get that degree done in, a, in an aviation college program in three years, maybe even less if you, if you put in the extra work. Um, and so I... I personally did not do this, but this is what I would really recommend to people, again, especially because of the rising costs in tuition. Uh, and with certain flight schools are just growing more and more, more and more flight students are attending because, hey, guess what? Uh, everyone's seeing on the news that there's pilot shortages and people are seeing the the, the salary increases that we're, we're getting. And so it's becoming a very attractive career. And so everyone is going to flight school all of a sudden. Uh, and so that's that's why getting that private done, getting those gen ed classes out of the way first is a really good idea. And and I did not do this, but and, and I don't regret uh, going straight into the college program at all, but I, I wish I had thought of this community college idea because overall there's, there's no timeline setback. And, and since it's that first rating, um, the private pilot certificate can be the most expensive because it's it's your first rating. You're you're getting used to stuff uh, regarding flying, and, and it's it might take quite a few extra lessons, uh, and so it can be the more expensive rating out of all the ones you do. And so it, this is just a just a suggestion um, that I have that if you do choose the college aviation program, at least give the community college idea uh, and possibly getting your private pilot. Uh, certificate, uh, give, it, give it some research because it will save you money and it might end up saving you some time as well. Another option to get into the airlines is to take part in an academy. Uh, because of the aforementioned pilot shortages, airlines are now starting to develop their own pilot academies to train candidates from zero time to qualified airline minimums using their own flight school. Uh, for example, the company I work for, Republic Airways, has one that's called LIFT. Uh, LIFT is actually an acronym. It stands for Leadership in Flight Training. Uh, and so this is a, definitely an option to look into if you are certain that you want to be an airline pilot and that you want to end up or, or at least start at an airline that offers an academy program like this. Uh, and it's, it's a great way to get qualified uh, and to make it there. The only real drawback is that in most cases, you are going to be committed to that company for a little bit. 
the flight training costs uh, can and sometimes are required actually to be offset uh, by signing a contract stating that you will maybe instruct for the academy for a specific amount of time. And then once you are qualified uh, to go to the airlines, you're going to remain at that airline and maybe even upgrade at that airline and stay there for a period as well. So it does kind of keep you a little bit more limited uh, by signing a contract. And, and if you do want to get out of that contract, you're going to have to pay your way out. Uh, and so that could be a pretty hefty fee that you'd have to pay. Um, and, and I've heard of that happening. So that's just one major thing to... Uh, consider when you're doing your research. Uh, but when it comes to flight training costs, that can help a lot um, in order to, uh, to offset those costs. Because maybe you can't get approved for certain loans or something, but maybe you can get approved for a smaller one. This, this might be a, a really good option for you. But again, you're going to be stuck with that specific company. Um, I, I hate to use the word stuck, but it's, it's one way of thinking of it. Um, because again, with so much movement in the industry, Regionals are typically thought of as, as a, a stepping stone for your career before you move on to a major or a legacy carrier uh, where you're at your dream job, you know, flying wide bodies for United or American or Delta or flying for JetBlue or Frontier, you know, whoever it might be, uh, that dream job will require, in most cases, some jet time first. And so most people go to the regionals. A lot is changing. There are less regionals there today than there were 10 years ago. Um, so those, you know, pipelines, uh, those different methods to get to your, your dream carrier will be shifting over the years. But for now, it's, it's still a thing where you go to the regional airlines and you do your time there before stepping on and, and moving to your dream job. So I mentioned that either you can go to a flight school, whether it's a, a larger program or a smaller flight school, or go to a, a college program or attend a, a flight academy. Uh, and then regardless of, of either of those aforementioned methods to, to getting your hours, uh, one way that people do get their hours is become a, a, a flight instructor. And again, this is an additional rating. And, and with that academy option, it's, it's most likely a requirement to become a flight instructor uh, in order to get those hours. But what if you do not want to be a flight instructor? I mean, here's one of the things. It's it's another rating you'd need to obtain, which means more training costs. And when chatting with some fellow pilots, many of us have agreed it's probably one of the hardest ratings you're going to get. But like I said earlier, it's a very rewarding experience to give back and get back to aviation and, and train the next generation of pilots. But still, if it's not for you, I know this sounds like I'm... I'm really trying to convince you to become an instructor because I think it's a really good idea uh, because not only does it build upon your knowledge uh, but it it just gives you really good leadership experience um, but again it's if it's not for you no worries <laughs> there are other ways to get your hours and once you have your commercial pilot certificate um, you can either depending on the flight school you go to, some will actually allow you to just get your commercial multi first without getting your commercial single engine. Uh, but most people will get their commercial single engine rating. Uh, but once you do have that, there are lots of ways to build your flight time. Uh, for example, in most coastal areas, uh, there's a ton of banner towing. Um, that's an option to get your time. The main drawback to banner towing is that it's going to be very hard to get those cross-country hours because you are going back and forth along the beach 
and it's mostly less than 50 nautical miles from point to point. So you're not going to be able to log those cross-country hours that would go towards your ATP minimums. Um, some friends of mine who did the banner towing uh, option said that they did have to rent planes a couple times to help get to their, their cross-country hours. Because again, when you're doing all your flight training, you have cross-country requirements, uh, but you're not going to necessarily get to, um, you're definitely not going to get to the 500 hours if you did just the flight training route. And even if you did the flight school route, you're not going to get 200 hours of, of cross-country time. Um, so you'll have to find other ways to do it. Another job out there is aerial surveying. And although a lot of surveying has now transferred to, to unmanned flying, there are still quite a few applications for manned aircraft where a drone just couldn't get the job done. So you'll definitely get your cross-country hours doing this, but a couple of drawbacks are that it, uh, in some cases, can be just a seasonal job, um, and it's most likely going to be far away from where you live. Uh, a perfect example of of uh, some aerial surveying is for pipelines. So you're gonna see a lot of those in wide expansive areas like uh, Southern Texas, um, or maybe you're doing contract work for uh, border patrol or something. I don't know, there, there's a lot of stuff where you could be doing a lot of survey along the border wall, along pipelines, uh, uh, high tension lines. I mean, there's all kinds of these applications where you're going long distances, particularly in those very sparse areas. But then there's also other survey applications in uh, very urban areas. I mean, I've, I've, uh, a couple of my buddies have told me they've done some crazy surveying right downtown in a major metropolitan area, you know, downtown Boston, downtown New York City. I mean, doing some crazy stuff all right above major airports, and it can get pretty hectic. So sometimes it's actually... Uh, you know, there's a lot of those pretty dense airspace type surveying, so it can get pretty stressful. Um, but again, like I said, you're probably going to be far away from where you normally live, and so you'll need to relocate. And um, if, if it's not seasonal, or even if it is seasonal, during that on time, you'll be very busy with, with very little free time. And, it, and I will add it, in most cases, from what I've heard from people, it, it does not pay that well. But um, but hey, you're getting those hours, right? And And if you're trying to get to your airline minimums, that's what really, really counts. And regarding being away from home a lot in, in this specific job, hey, guess what? You are signing up to be a pilot, so you'll be away from home a lot. So I guess now is a great time to get used to it. <laughs> Some other options um, are aerial tours, uh, which are mostly local flights. So again, getting those cross-country hours can be a, a little bit challenging. Um, but another option to, to help get your cross-country hours is, is charter flying. Um, so even though many of these are passenger operations, they do not fall under the Part 121 airline regulations. And so they'll fall under either the Part 135 charter operations or even more uh, privatized operations, which is under Part 91, uh, where it's all just completely unscheduled type of flying, that it's a not-for-hire type of operation. You're just flying some rich person around to go from point A to point B. Uh, or a charter operation is an unscheduled operation where you're bringing groups of people from one point to another, but it's not it's not a scheduled operation, not like a, a taxi service that essentially the airlines are. A couple of examples of, of, of companies that do this kind of flying is Cape Air or Tradewind Aviation. Uh, and both of these uh, do very similar flying, where a lot of their summer flying is in the Northeast, 
uh, like doing hops between, you know, Nantucket, the Vineyard, Cape Cod, uh, all around that region. Um, a bunch of stuff up into Maine as well. Uh, so a lot of like Northeast flying into these much smaller remote airports to get people close to their summer vacation homes. And then during the winter, their operations will switch to a lot of Caribbean flying. So then you'll be hopping around the islands down in the Caribbean, which uh, I've known a couple people who, who did that, and they said it was an absolute blast. It's very busy because you'd be doing potentially six to seven legs per day. It's a lot of work, um, but but it's it's fun. You get to, to experience quite a bit, uh, and the pay is not too bad, especially once you do upgrade to captain. Uh the it's it's a decent salary uh and it and it can keep you quite busy and you'll definitely get that cross-country time as well and depending on the needs of that company if you're looking to go this route uh, depending on on how many pilots they might need they could interview you and and maybe hire you with as little as 500 hours so it's it's definitely a, a great opportunity to get a low total time job uh, and quickly get your hours to go to the airlines. The one thing that you need to be very careful about is which seat you are sitting in. And what I mean by that is that the aircraft that these companies fly are certified as single pilot aircraft, meaning that only one pilot can log flight time while you're flying. Now, if they do have a Part 135 exemption under the regulations, you would be able to sit in the right seat. And even though it is certified for single pilot operations, you could still log second in command time and log that towards your total time requirements for the airlines. But if it's a part 91 flight uh, or they do not have this exemption, only the captain can log pilot and command time. So be very careful about uh, the company that you're looking into. Make sure they do have that exemption. Otherwise, uh, if they don't, you can still have that job, but you will not legally be able to log those hours. Uh, and you wouldn't be able to log any time until you upgraded to captain. So you might be stuck in a job for six months, maybe even longer, until you're qualified uh, to upgrade to captain. And then once you upgrade, you can start logging those hours. So just, just be careful about that. Um, again, some will have the exemption, but some might not. And you won't be able to log until you upgrade. In fact, I, I do know a couple of people who have logged second in command time when they were legally not supposed to um, because they thought that the company had the exemption rule, but apparently they did not. And so therefore, uh, a handful of their hours did not count, and they didn't actually realize it until they were already hired into an airline, and they were in a training class, and uh, sometime through the training class when... Uh, they go through all of your, your log books and they go through everything. Um, the training department had to say, hey, you need to exit the class, go get your hours, uh, and then you can come back. So luckily the, the company in these couple situations, they did hold that individual seniority date so that they could come back and go back through the, the training pipeline. But it was just really disappointing for that individual because you know they, they were already starting their airline training and all of a sudden they realized that, oh, I don't know, 150, 200 of my hours don't legally count. So it's a bit of a bummer. Uh, not the end of the world, but just do your research and make sure if you are going to go this route of doing chartered services for these these small, essentially single pilot aircraft, 
uh, that they need to have that exemption, which allows the second in command to, or the uh, the first officer, the, the second in command, to actually log that flight time to go towards your airline minimums. Now, one other method to get your hours and be qualified to go to the airlines is to go into the military. I will preface this and say, though, that if your goal is to be an airline pilot, you should not think of the military as your way to get there. And this is because it's a huge career commitment and a massive change in your lifestyle. And and the thing about a military career and, and specifically a flight slot is that you're not guaranteed that flight slot. I mean, you might go into looking into becoming a a military aviator, but because of the needs in the military and or your placement scores, uh, you might end up as an intelligence officer or a submarine officer, depending on the branch. And, And speaking of an officer, you need to also become an officer, and that means that you need a bachelor's degree. It does not matter what the degree is in. I mean, it could be in underwater basket weaving, uh, but it is still a requirement. So let's say you wanted to become an airline pilot, but didn't have the funds for flight training and or a college degree. So then maybe you decided to choose a military career to help get you there. Uh, But without a college degree, you would have to enlist in the military. Uh, and this you know, is, is a great option because you can take advantage of free college classes, but because you've already enlisted, it would most likely take you longer than just four years to get your college degree, and that's just due to time constraints. You know, you are working full-time in the military, uh, so taking f- a full course load of college classes is most likely not going to be possible. So even you know most enlistment sign-ons are four to five years, you're probably not going to get your college degree done in just that four to five years. It might take six to eight years to get that degree. And then after that, you have to apply to become an officer. And if there's any delays in that, that could take more time. And once you are commissioned as an officer, and let's say you do get that pilot slot, it is a 10-year commitment for the pilot slot. That's quite a long time if, if you did the enlistment thing, uh, got your college degree, that was all paid for, but then you commissioned, got the pilot slot. I mean, you'd be, you'd be a bit older than most other candidates, um, which, again, like I said earlier, it's never too late to get into the airlines, but it just is one thing to consider that it's definitely not the quicker way to do it. And even if you decided to uh, commission into the military without enlisting first, so you have a college degree and you commission right away at at age 22, it's still that 10-year commitment for a pilot slot. Um, And if you do not get a pilot slot, regardless of, of, you know, if you did the enlistment thing first, then became an officer, or or if you became an officer first, if if you do not get that pilot slot, it's not the end of your military flying chances. You can still apply for a slot, but it can be quite competitive. Uh, and, and it will take some, some, some time to get there for sure. Now, what I've been speaking of is active duty, and there is a different way to get a military flying career and essentially have it guaranteed that you are going to have that pilot slot. And that little secret is the Air National Guard. Now, an Air National Guard unit is essentially like a mini Air Force unit for Uh, an individual state. Some states will have more than one unit because there's just more people in that state. Uh, There's more funds for a base. Um, But essentially, 
you're you're still trained in the U.S. Air Force, uh, and then once your training is complete, you will be then uh, most likely, in most cases, a traditional guardsman where you're committed to that base for uh, weekend drills and then uh, annual training every year. So you're, you're a, a, a traditional guardsman, which means you're, you're part-time. You're a part-time Air National Guardsman while you have a full-time career. Um, so you'll be active duty for a little bit to get through all of your training. So it's about two years or so. Uh, and then you'll be home seasoning on base for 90 to 180 days, depending on, on the base and, and what's going on there. Uh, and then you'll be part-time. You do have opportunities to compete for a full-time slot if you so choose. Uh, and also the unit will deploy elements uh, from that unit, whether it's you know half of the aircraft and half of the entire unit, um, because they, they will deploy with active duty units all over the world. So it, it is a, an opportunity to do these deployments, but they, uh, the one real great thing is they tend to be shorter deployments, you know, maybe three to six months instead of active duty assignments. Uh, you could get overseas assignments that could be a couple years, um, or your deployments to specific locations will be at least six months, if not more. So, uh, the guard is kind of this this secret where um, if you're looking to do a uh, get get a, a military pilot slot, it is a, a really great way to do it because it guarantees you that slot, and it's it's getting in with a unit and sticking with that unit uh, until you transfer or retire. Uh, if you go active duty and you do get that pilot slot. It's kind of traditional active duty thing where you're going to get reassigned every four to five years. Um, and so you'll be moving all over the country, most likely, and possibly the world. Uh, but with a guard unit, once you get in, you're in. And again, like I said, you're not leaving until you retire um, or you decide to switch units. So it is a, a really great way to, um, to get in. To the military and to have a guaranteed flight slot and i will say i actually did apply uh, a few times and, and i have interviewed but it's very competitive it's an incredibly competitive process uh and so many units will get a bunch of applications they might get more than 100 applications in one year but they will only interview a handful of them and then they will only select a couple people so it's an incredibly selective process and it really boils down to your connections. If you know someone, if you were prior service or you're currently enlisted with that unit already, most cases they'll hire those guys because they're already in with the unit. So it's it's incredibly competitive. Um, and have I given up on it? Not necessarily. I might still try for it. Um, but it really just boils down to, you know, what I've planned out for my future. So it's it's one of these things where, okay, I'm not single anymore. You know, things are going really well in life. My quality of life is really good. The, the pay has increased uh, even at the regionals. So it's one of these things where I'd, I'd have to give it a lot more thought uh, because before I was, I was looking into doing a, a career in the Air Guard um, it, it, straight out of flight instructing and, and do that as, as my initial career before thinking about the airlines. Uh, but it's, again, very competitive. Uh, and those hiring boards take place at specific units, usually once a year, sometimes even not that often. Maybe it'll be every other year, every few years. So it's very competitive. But again, if, if it's something you're looking into doing, uh, it's, it's a really great way to build a ton of experience 
and get some of the best flight training you could ever ask for in the world. Um, so it's it's really awesome. And and the the main mindset is going into that is that it's it's again because it's so competitive. Just go in the within the mindset that if you want this, you really need to show them that you want this, that you want to be a, a member of their unit, you want to be an officer, you want to wear the uniform, and you, you have to make them tell you no is kind of the, the mindset that I've heard when applying to a guard unit is that you just have to keep showing up, keep letting them know that you want to work there and make them tell you no, which essentially means, you know, keep trying until you age out. Um, and what's really great is you can be up until you are age 33, I believe, uh, before you would age out uh, of an Air National Guard unit for the pilot slot. So anyway, it's it's uh, it's very competitive. It's a huge commitment, and it's a lot to consider. So it kind of like I, I mentioned at the beginning of this, this segment with, with regard to, to selecting the military as an option, don't think of it as a way to get to the airlines. Think of it as your first career. And then later, maybe think that, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm done with the military. I'm going to go to the airlines um, and change things up. But what's really great about the Air National Guard, too, is that because it is a, a part-time uh, gig, once you're done with your training, you can be working in the airlines and then also have those part-time assignments on the side. And because of laws, uh, your airline, or, or actually any company you would ever work for, regardless of the career, uh, cannot hold it against you to uh, show up for duty because it's it's part of your military duty. Uh, and so if you have those, those weekend drill assignments or your training uh, assignments every year, uh, it's it's covered uh, by the laws. So, and, and that's what's actually really great about having an airline career and, and being a part-time guardsman is that uh, airline pilots are very easy to replace in that we have a giant pool of pilots and many are on reserve. And so reassigning pilots is very easy to do. If you have some career where you're a, a manager uh, and you're working in IT or something where it's very hard to replace you when you leave for a two-week training period or maybe you go on that three-month deployment, that's a lot trickier. Um, they still, that company legally has to make it happen, but in terms of, of being an airline pilot, it's very easy to work with your company. Um, so any airline you end up with is more than happy to work with you. And you know you just have to give them notice, but there's no penalties for going off to your guard uh, unit to, to do some training and whatnot. So it's, it's a really cool opportunity. And if you decide that you go the full-on military route, so you don't do any civilian uh, pilot training, one of the great things is that the, the military flight time also qualifies for restricted minimums. So remember earlier with the college program, you could get uh, you know, qualified at a thousand hours in the military, you only need 750 hours of total flight time. So even though that's less flight time overall, I will still add it, as I mentioned earlier, that the military is, is, should not be thought of as a, as a way to get to the airlines. It's a whole different career and it's going to take some time and it's a lot of commitment. And like I said, it's a huge change in your life. Uh, you have to be willing to put on the uniform and serve your country uh, and serve that unit if you go to the Air Guard or, well, any unit that you're at if you're active duty too. Uh, and it's just, it's a lot to consider. And it's it's a 
it's a slower way to log flight time too. Um, a lot of jobs in the civilian world, whether you're doing that charter stuff, your flight instructing, whatnot, you're going to be flying a lot more uh, with military flying from some of the guys I've talked to. Uh, it's it's a different animal. Um, you're doing a lot of planning and a lot of training and less uh, actual active flying, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing at all because it's giving you a lot of this really great experience. But, you know, if your goal is to fly, fly, fly until you get sick of it, it's not going to happen in the military. That's for sure. So like I said, if, if you're thinking of the military as an option, go into that with the mindset that you want to become an officer first, a pilot next, and the thought of an airline career kind of has to be put in the back burner uh, because it'll, it will take an incredible amount of focus and dedication to be successful as, as an officer and a military aviator. And like I said, you have to be willing to, to wear the uniform and serve your country. Um, and if, if you're able to do it, your military ratings... Uh, and at least 750 hours of flight time will qualify you to become an airline pilot if you so choose. But, but like I said, it's not a direct path and you will have those commitments. So if you go the air guard route, um, you're not necessarily going to get your 750 hours uh, in that two-year time period where you're active duty. Um, so it might take you a little bit to get your airline hours, but eventually you'll get there. If you go active duty, you'll definitely get those 750 hours, but it, it'll take you longer. And again, you have that 10-year contract to fulfill. So you'd be, you'd be in the uniform for 10 years before you could even go to the airline. So it's a lot to consider, um, but it's definitely an option on the plate. If, if you really wanted to go after a military career, um, there's a ton of people out there that you can talk to. I, I've spoken with many. Uh, I've got some friends who, who do that, and it's uh, just a really rewarding experience from what I've heard from them. Uh, and it's, you know, when I talk to them, it, it makes me want to still try, and who knows? Maybe I will. Maybe I will still apply to to unit again, but uh, it's just, it's very competitive, um, but that's okay. Uh, the, the great thing that, that I have to, to think about is that I already do have a really great job and I have a lot of things lined up in the future. So, uh, I'm not going to regret any of the decisions that I made. Um, and while it would be disappointed if, if, if maybe I did not, uh, get into a, a guard unit and, and wear the uniform that it's okay. Um, that I've, I've, you know, made it to where I need to be in life and that uh, things are all good. So, but again, if, if you're looking to do something like this, give it some thought. It's a huge commitment. So there you have it. Those are the main ways to become qualified for airline training. And you can just go to flight school, either at a small mom and pop flight school or a larger school with a more rigorous curriculum or you can go to a university with an aviation program, just like I did, to get your ratings in tandem uh, with your, your degree. And there are some big-name universities out there, like the one I went to, Embry-Riddle, but there's also many to choose from. So do your research, uh, because once you get your ratings, you can either become a flight instructor for that university and, and teach the next uh, generation of flight students, or you can find a, a different way to gain your hours. And whether you do the, the, the uh, college program or not, I mean, you can do that by, uh, you can get those hours by banner towing, survey, tours, uh, parachute jumping, charter. I mean, there's, 
there's a plethora of, of, of different options out there. Uh, and then lastly, like I just talked about, there's the military option. And it's, it's a huge commitment and will take quite a few years. And it's certainly not the quickest way to become an airline pilot, but you certainly can do it. So that pretty much wraps up this episode about paths to the airlines. There's no right or wrong way to do it, and much of it depends on what you decide is best for you. I mean, it's it's a big decision to become an airline pilot, so take your time to figure it out and do your research. Take a discovery flight at your local flight school to ensure that this is what you want to do. Uh, and keep in mind that if this is your dream, that you want to be an airline pilot because you want to fly a jet, guess what? You're going to have to fly some small airplanes first. So give it a test ride first. Go to go to the local airport. Go for a discovery flight. General aviation is a whole nother facet of aviation. There's There's a lot to learn. And many people who thought that they were going to make a career in the airlines ended up actually staying in general aviation. And, and I will say myself that I miss general aviation quite a lot, actually. Um, the gig that I had when I was a supervisor at my flight school, I, I had the, the side instructing for the, uh, the flying club there. I mean, the, it was amazing. I, I had all this freedom to just rent the plane, you know, take it out to a grass strip, you know, have fun uh, filming, uh, having my friends fly the drone and filming me do some grass landings and explore new places and, and share my passion for flight with people by, by taking them for a ride uh, and going to get you know your $200 burger or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it was just all those things that you could do is so much fun within general aviation. But now as an airline pilot, uh, you know, you're following the flight plan. Uh, and always going from point A to point B. There's there's no stopping at a grass strip uh, or taking the plane to a burger joint uh, at the nearby local uh, airport there. So it's it's a little bit different. There are some trade-offs. But now I do get to sit in an air-conditioned flight deck, and I fly a pretty big plane, so it's really awesome. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and it, it comes with some really great perks. Uh, I will say that although this is just the beginning of my airline career, I'm, I'm already enjoying it a lot, and that's why I wanted to create this podcast and, and share that with all of you, and, and again, why I'm making this episode to just highlight uh, the different options and the different paths to get to the airlines, because I know there's a couple listeners on my podcast uh, right now that, that are listening because they're inspired by what I have to share, and that's what makes me really enthusiastic about talking about this kind of stuff because if i can just tell one person that hey you can do this you can become a pilot you should do it no one should stop you uh and if they get inspired by me if it's just one person it really makes my day and that's what i live for and 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 those are the moments like i've talked about in in past episodes with regard to instructing and, and supervising and and now going back to my alma mater at the career fair as an airline pilot and getting to talk to the next generation of pilots and getting them all excited that's what excites me uh the whole flying aspect of this career is really exciting but i think what excites me the most is getting other people excited about aviation and that's what i just love the most about just networking with people and getting to share my passion for what I do. So if you have any questions about what I talked about in this episode or any other episodes, head to my website, 
and leave a comment on the discussion board for this episode or, or for other episodes. Again, those can be found on the podcast section of my website, pilotgavin.com. Or feel free to send me a, a direct message on Instagram, and my username is also just pilotgavin. I am always looking for more content ideas, and any questions or suggestions you might have, drop them on that comment discussion board on the website or, or send me a message on Instagram. I'm always really excited to answer people's questions and, and just get involved with people and, and network with you all. So that wraps up this week's episode of Cleared for Takeoff. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back next week. But until then, as always, fly safe.